Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. On his way to the end zone. I'll tell you what, that was a spectacular play. It's time to dominate your fantasy league. What a play! Off to the races! Some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, Heath, and Ben. Well, I'm a little bit sad today because I love Bold Prediction Week, and this is our last last day of Bold Prediction Week. But hopefully, Chris is feeling bold today. Hopefully, he's going to knock our socks off with his predictions. How bold are you feeling, Chris Towers? Um, I don't know, like a semi-bold. You know how sometimes when you're like. You know, in a word processor, you have like a bold, a semi-bold. Um, <laughs> yeah, somewhere in between those two things. You know, I try to be, uh, you know, I mean, physically, I like to think I'm pretty bold. But, um, you know, I, I don't know about my, my takes. Well, Sometimes I always struggle with it. You know, like, yeah, your bold prediction could be another person's normal prediction could be another person's you're an idiot thing. So, yeah, I always struggle with it. What what, what type of uh, what uh, size font? Like a twelve. You're a twelve today. Okay. Did you ever pull this trick? Well, what trick? Did you ever oh. pull this trick in college? I don't oh, know yeah. if the the younger kids will be able to do this because they got like word processors that like check this stuff. But in college, if you had to print out a paper, make all your font twelve, make all your periods fourteen. Oh no, I never did that. Adds just... like a like a makes it like two to three percent longer in terms of your lines. You can get an extra page, page and a half on a ten page paper. Yep, I've okay. never done hundred percent. No, yeah, I never did. That. Hold on. No, I was a great student. Um, <laughs> had very good yep. grades. Didn't have hardly any drops on my record in college. <laughs> Definitely not like mm. a dozen of those. I love it. Mm. That's a great tip. I thought I'd just make your font like thirteen, but no, this is even better. Okay, Dave is here as well. Dave is an honest man. He would never do something like that. We'll go through the news and notes like we always <laughs> just didn't do the essay. <laughs> just didn't bother. <laughs> We'll do our news and notes, and then we will do Chris's bold prediction. One about Kyle Pitts, one about Michael Thomas, and one about Nick Chubb. So we're getting some uh, some quotes and some news for the Detroit Lions running backs. And Anthony Lynn, their offensive coordinator, who is great with running backs, gets him very involved in the passing game. He says he's going to ride the hot hand at running back. And then meanwhile, the Lions are openly acknowledging that they are interested in signing Todd Gurley. So Dave, if you're a DeAndre Swift manager, if you're thinking about drafting him, how freaked out are you right now? You get, you got to start to get a little bit freaked out because they're adding another body to the to the running back room in Gurley. Uh, I don't know if it's a guarantee that he's going to even make the final roster. Maybe he will. I don't know. This is the team that had Adrian Peterson on the roster last year. Different coaching staff, same franchise. I'm... I'm I'm encouraged by what Anthony Lynn had to say about finding ways to get his running backs touches. Long time ago, back when we did a lot of travel for work, uh, we went to one of the owners' meetings. They have a coach's breakfast there. Anthony Lynn was sitting by himself at one point. Nobody around him. I went and sat down with him. That's how I got to know him a little bit. 
And we, we talked about just ways to get running backs the football. And I brought up the idea of just throwing screen passes. And he goes, I call those extended runs. That's one of the ways that he he's talking about here, about getting his running backs more involved. He doesn't want to do just traditional handoffs and tosses and uh, delays, whatever. He wants to throw the ball a little bit to his running backs. We saw that already. You knew that already. But it's something that's on Anthony Lynn's mind. And that's something that would especially help DeAndre Swift. So I- I'm encouraged by that. I'd be a little discouraged if Todd Gurley's there. Obviously, a coach is going to play the hot hand when it comes to his running back. If DeAndre Swift just doesn't have it one week and Jamal Williams does, of course, Jamal Williams is going to have the hot hand that week. But no one knows that, including the coaches and including the players, until the game actually begins. I still believe that DeAndre Swift is going to be a guy that can get you close to 70 catches. I still believe that he can get you close to 200 carries if he can stay healthy. I still believe in him as somewhere between a very low-end number one PPR running back and a very quality number two fantasy running back overall. Okay. So you're not going to move him down in your rankings? I haven't yet, but I also haven't con- until there's confirmation that Gurley's signing there. And I don't know why they would do it. I, I, I don't, I don't know. It's like, it's like the coaches sometimes are like the fantasy managers that don't really pay well, attention to what's happening around the league. And then they yeah. see a name that's out there. Oh my God. I remember when Todd Gurley was good. No, let's get Dave, him. Or look, let's they draft they him. want that's experience. They want experience. And does this just make you wonder Do, if the lions view Deandre Swift as a bell cow, you know, he's well, gonna, obviously he's going to get the catches, but is he, he going to get more than say 12 carries a game? There was the quotes from Anthony Lynn from uh, probably about two weeks ago now where he, he did a Q&A with, um, with The Athletic, and the quote was something like, you know, I look at Jamal Williams, and I, I, I say he's, he's an A-back. Mm-hmm. He's, the, he's the kind of back who, you know, I can put him in early, round, in early downs. He gets the tough yards. Uh, we can also use him in a third-down role. DeAndre Swift is more like a B-back. You know, he's the, the shifty guy you want to get in space. And that was the first inkling that, you know, I, I certainly had, well, I think the signing of Jamal Williams and I think giving him more guaranteed money than any other running back got this offseason. I think that's right. Um, it was only like $5 million. Right, yeah. yeah. Um, that, I, I think, yeah, he's not going to be a 250, 300 carry. I don't think there's any way. That, sure. I mean, definitely not 300, 250s probably on the higher end. Um, carries or touches? Carries. Oh, yeah, I don't think either one of these guys is going to get to 250 carries. But, but you could, I mean, you're hoping for like 75 to 80 targets um, in an offense that will use running backs in a valuable way, which was what Anthony Lynn has done in the past. And what I mean by that is not just not just screens. I mean, screens are great. They're high efficiency in terms of you're pretty much guaranteed to get that one PPR point for every screen, even mm-hmm. if it you know ends up being a 0.6 point play because they lose four yards. But the really valuable role for running backs in the passing game is when they get used down the field. And you see that with a guy like Christian McCaffrey. You see that with um, you know, Miles Sanders the last couple of seasons in Philadelphia. Even last year when he wasn't good, he was getting downfield targets. That's what you're hoping for. Austin Eckler actually didn't really have that last season. His average depth of target was actually negative 1.2 yards, which is pretty surprising. The year before, it was 1.3 uh, positive. Um, so that's what you're hoping for is that Swift can be someone who does get 75 to 80 targets or more. And it's, you know, some of them are downfield targets, which have a better chance of turning into a touchdown, better chance of being chunk plays. 
All right, let's go to our next news item here. And uh, Mike McCarthy, Cowboys head coach, praising, saying really good things about CeeDee Lamb and, you know, hyping him up a little bit. And also that CeeDee Lamb has been lining up all over the field in OTAs. Any chance, Dave? Actually, I should check your rankings to see if this is the case. I don't think it is. Any chance? Do I have you... him over Gallup? You bet I do. <laughs> do you have him over Amari Cooper? Will you move Ceedee Lamb ahead of Amari Cooper? Not ready to do that yet. Um, <laughs> although I, I love, I love the talent. Obviously, he was my favorite rookie receiver last year, and I could see him taking another step forward this year. I love the fact that he's going to play outside. I think I read that he would play in the slot ninety percent of the time, maybe even more than that. So, getting him involved outside of the slot. If it means having a favorable matchup, I'm down with it. They need to do things to try and take the number one corner off of Amari Cooper just to help Cooper out. And Cooper sometimes didn't even need it. Sometimes he had good games even against tough competition. Usually, though, usually, though, Cooper's struggled against, at least in the past. I know we've talked about yeah. it a ton. Yeah. Um, look, I, I think that they're just going to try and force defenses to play zone against them all the time exclusively. That makes it easier on a quarterback. It makes it easier on wide receivers. Lamb's already being drafted as a, as a good number two fantasy wide out. I don't think this really changes that much. Okay, He is being drafted ahead of Amari Cooper right now. In, in NFC he is? Uh, yeah. They're back-to-back 14 and 15 at wide receiver, but uh, Lamb is about one and a half spots of ADP higher. Interesting. Okay. Uh, Tampa Bay quarterback coach Clyde Christensen said that this is the second time we've heard this now. Tom Brady's knee was bothering him for much of the season. It was it was an issue, and they didn't talk about it much, but it was an issue for Brady, and yet he finished with 40 touchdown passes, 4,600 yards, a Super Bowl championship, and he was the number seven quarterback in fantasy. So on one hand, yeah, he's getting older, and he could be breaking down a little bit. On the other hand, if that's what he did on one good knee, in the second year in Bruce Arians' offense, you know, it could be even better. Connor, I, I don't want to be an ageist here because I am the the young guy on the pod. My assumption is just as a 32-year-old, I feel pain all the time somewhere. My guess is if you're a 44-year-old professional football player, you're going to be hurt in some way at all times. I like, guess. I'm not necessarily sure I would look at it and say, wow, Tom Brady's going to be healthy next season. Watch out. I don't He's know. I mean, I have think, some kind of thing. I think the fact is all football players do. I think the yeah. fact is Tom Brady had a knee injury, learned a new offense, got a new wide receiver midway through the year, and finished with forty touchdown passes. I love it. I love it going into year two of this offense. You know, I'm excited. Yeah. What What stops him? I Nothing. think he probably takes a little bit of a statistical step back, but that's not a knock on him. But that could still be like forty five hundred yards and thirty seven touchdowns, it's, which right. every how many quarterbacks are taking a good. statistical step back? Right, last year was was yeah. quarterback year. A lot of them are going to take a statistical step back, which is why the rushing quarterbacks could be even better. Okay, Connor Hughes of the Athletic thinks it won't be long before Michael Carter is the lead running back for the Jets. And Chris, what is your reaction to this? Um, I I have a hard time ever seeing ranking him more than an RB three until like maybe he goes off early in the season and shows something in this offense is better than I expect. But my expectation is he's even if he's the lead back, he's sharing work in what I still expect to be a very bad offense. So um, I don't have an, have, have him ranked as an RB three right now. Maybe uh, I can get there. In I'm there. I'm there. He's an RB three. Um, he He's, Exactly what they're looking for as far as a cutback zone running rusher um, with pretty good receiving skills on top of it. He just can't pass protect worth a lick, and I'm worried about him 
um, running inside between the tackles. That could be hard, but I don't know how much of that they're going to ask him to do anyway. He shared with Javante Williams at UNC. I agree with Chris. He's going to share here in New York too, and I also agree with Chris. I don't know how much running this offense is going to be able to successfully do, but they got a man and a half at left tackle in Mekhi Becton. They've got a new left guard in Elijah Vera Tucker. That's that's a good start on improving an offensive line. And uh, anything that they can squeeze out of the run game makes it easier on Zach Wilson. I, I, I like him. I like the talent a lot. I'm worried about the opportunity being plentiful for him. So number three running back it is. Okay, would you guys rather have a Bucks running back or Michael Carter? I've got Fournette ranked ahead of him. I have Fournette ranked just ahead of him. All right, then. Let's go to Chris's bold predictions first, though. Next Tuesday, circle it on your calendar, folks. 7 p.m. Eastern, we are going to have a mock draft for you. Join us at youtube.com slash fantasyfootball today to watch our mock draft and to ask us questions throughout. Subscribe to the channel, youtube.com slash fantasyfootball today. Subscribe. Turn the notifications on. You'll know exactly when we're live, and we will see you on YouTube Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Eastern. Cool. Good stuff. And by the way, if you watched any of our videos last year, we have our, our live stream videos. We got a lot more capabilities now. So you'll be able to easily follow along with the draft. You'll be able to see it really clearly as uh, we'll be putting Schrager to work doing that, doing that production stuff. Okay, Chris, your bold predictions, starting with Kyle Pitts. What is your bold prediction on Kyle Pitts? Uh, Kyle Pitts breaks every rookie tight end record. And so just for context, I'm referring to the post-NFL, AFL merger. Oh, well, uh, record, then who cares? Is, right, right. I know. Yeah. It's only 50-some-odd years of, of history. Right. Uh, <laughs> 81 catches, Keith Jackson in 1988, 894 yeah. yards, Jeremy Shockey in 2002, and Wait 10 touchdowns. Wait a second. When was, when was Ditka? That was before the merger? That was before yeah, that the was merger. Really? Okay, okay. Yeah. And it was in only 14 games. Dicka had himself a season. Yeah, like 1,100 yards. Okay, so how many Not, touchdowns? They named a restaurant after him. <laughs> Uh, 894 yards for Jeremy Shockey in 2004 or 2002 and 10 touchdowns, Rob Gronkowski in 2010. Mm. Uh, the touchdowns are the hardest one, I think, to get to. But I'm projecting Pitts for 68 catches, 847 yards and six touchdowns. And that's, I had to force myself to be conservative with that one because I didn't want to end up with a situation where I had a rookie tight end ranked in the you know, top four and pushing for the top three right now. I have him just behind Mark Andrews and just ahead of TJ Hawkinson, whether Julio Jones is there, whether he's not, I think this is such, this is a, I think the best combination of a talent and a situation that a rookie tight end has ever been in. And, you know, historically it's really hard for rookie tight ends to produce. I think there's only three in the Super Bowl era who have more than 800 receiving yards in a season. I think there's only, two with more than 70 catches and three with eight or more touchdowns. So it is really hard for rookie tight ends to produce uh, and be fantasy contributors. And my general assumption has always been fade the hyped rookie tight end. Kyle Pitts is different. And I know I've said this before. There are different, there have been different tight ends before. Vernon Davis was different. Rob Gronkowski was different. What Kyle Pitts did at UF 43 catches, 770 yards, 12 touchdowns in eight games, even in a weird season. That is almost unheard of tight end production. And now he's landing in a team that I still expect to be pretty pass heavy. And he's, I mean, at this point, you got to assume he's going to be the number two target. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Kyle Pitts. So the, the records again are 81 catches, 894 yards, and 10 touchdowns. Kyle Pitts will break. And that, every that might sound record. a little lofty, and those were done in non 17 game seasons. Yeah. So if you take those numbers and divide it by 17, they're they're a little more digestible. You were talking about 4.7 catches per game. Yeah. Adam, you think that Pitts can catch five passes per game on average? Uh, yeah, I I guess. I think it's possible. I don't know if I would lock it in. Look, but I, I think I, it's I think it's possible if Julio's about, not there. I'm worried about Hayden Hurst. I, I think he still um, gets a role. I mean Hayden Hurst is I don't, just gonna I don't, disappear. Let me let me just let me start. Let me pause with what I'm getting at and then okay. let yeah, me just, sorry. Do not think of Kyle Pitts as a traditional tight end. Think of him as a wide receiver that we're kind of getting lucky with to call a tight end because that's really what he is. Yeah, he's not he's not your typical tight end. I don't know how much he's going to block. He'll block some. This is this is still Arthur Smith's offense after all. But It'll Arthur Smith used. loves utilizing tight ends. We saw it in Tennessee. I think that's something that will continue Did to happen. Did we see it in Tennessee? I mean, it's not like John o. Smith ever had a good season. Well, he had some pretty good numbers, and you saw him progress. Did and he they have used multiple 600 yards? In that offense. I, I and they're going to the use multiple tight ends in this offense. They're going to throw 150 more times than the Titans did. That's definitely going to happen. Yeah, like, that yeah. Just, the All Titans right. were throwing 400 to 440 times per year in Arthur Smith's two years as offensive coordinator. I would be shocked if the Falcons threw fewer than 550 times next season. And John Smith is a very talented tight end. He's a very talented playmaker, but he's a very different type of player than Kyle Pitts is too. Uh-huh. John Smith. But you can't compare anybody to Kyle Pitts. I mean, yeah, like Travis Kelsey, you know, those guys. Mm, I think those I mean, are... Well, as far as statistical yeah, he, ceilings go, sure. Physically, he is. It, it's a it's a short list of like Vernon yeah, Davis, I'm, and right. I'm not sure there's anyone else really. Right, right, right. John. Um, but he, John Smith, is more like a George Kittle. Takes a lot of shorter passes. He's really, really great with the ball in his hands, and Kyle Pitts can be that as well. But um, he's someone you want to push the ball down the field with as well. Yeah, yeah. he's someone who can be a, you know. He can make plays in the short area as well, but you want Kyle Pitts running up the seams, challenging guys one-on-one, right, right, and right, just right, dominating right. with his physicality. And I think that's where you're going to see the the value in this offense because he's going to, to at least a certain extent, have to pick up some of the slack that Julio Jones left behind. Okay, so or now Adam, get a number inevitably in going to leave behind. <laughs> it seems that way. So Adam, get a number in your head if you think... How, how many yards per game is Kyle Pitts going to average? 17 games. Think of a number. Everybody listening, think of a number. Everybody watching, okay. think of a number. Are you going to guess my number? Or I yeah. just tell you? No, I want you to tell me your number, and then I'm going to tell you how much he needs to match the yeah, record just, that Shockey set. I'll just say 50. Right, 52.6. Yeah. So that's pretty close. Mm-hmm. And if you're expecting 50 yards a game from Kyle Pitts, it's not going to take that much more for him to match Shockey's record. For what it's, it's the worth. touchdowns. I agree with Chris on that. I, I I have a hard time seeing him get to to ten touchdowns. For what it's worth, uh, I mentioned this when we talked about Russell Gage. In the last nine seasons, Matt Ryan's had a number two wide receiver with more than nine hundred yards only twice. So they they just don't. It just even last year, you know, Julio got hurt. Oh uh, yeah, the, the year before Julio. that, Ridley had eight hundred and sixty six yards. It's just well, Ridley weird. missed a couple games too, right? Mm-hmm. The Heath missed three games in in two thousand nineteen. Yeah, yeah, it just hasn't happened. And this is a tight end. That is a 
I don't want to be low. I mean, I kind of want to be all in. I kind of want to be excited about Pitts, but the, the history is against them. But I totally, I think there's a lot of merit to everything you're saying. By the way, um, not only was Mike Dick a great tight end and they named a restaurant after him, Kicking and Screaming is a very underrated sports movie. <laughs> very underrated. And he's really great in it. So everybody should watch it. All would, right. you, would you rather have Ditka or the Heavenly Choir of Angels? Uh, is that from SNL? Yes. Dicka. <laughs> Mike Dicka or Dicka. Hurricane. Dicka 24, Heavenly Choir of Angels 7. <laughs> what right, if the hurricane was Hurricane Dicka? Oh, yeah, Hurricane Dicka. I love it. All right, what is your Michael Thomas bowl prediction? Bowl prediction number two is about Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas finishes as Michael Thomas finishes as the number one wide receiver in PPR scoring Ah. in the 2021 NFL football season. Okay. My thought process here is, one, he needs Jameis Winston as QB. I don't think Taysom Hill can can get it done. I think the volume just won't be there, although Taysom Hill did target him a ton in the four games that they played together. I think he was on pace for like 140 targets or something like that. But Jameis Winston, obviously, if Jameis Winston is a quarterback, I think they're probably going to throw 70 to 100 times more than they would if Taysom Hill was just... Those are rush attempts that that Jameis Winston won't be taking. Um, My other thought is Jameis Winston is not nearly as accurate as Drew Brees is, and that is going to be a limitation in those on those shorter targets. But he's going to be a much more aggressive quarterback than Drew Brees was, and so I think you're looking at trading some of the catch rate, which was near eighty percent or higher during the Drew, Drew Brees era. Maybe that's 73 to 75% with Jameis Winston, but you're pushing the average depth of target up a couple of yards and you're having you know, a few more big plays and you're having a few more touchdowns. And so I think all in all, if Jameis Winston's the quarterback, I just think Michael Thomas could have an absolutely ridiculous season. I have him projected for 125 catches, 1,450 yards, and nine touchdowns with Jameis Winston as QB. He's my number two wide receiver if Jameis is the QB. Um Obviously, I wouldn't necessarily rank him there right now just because there is the risk of Taysom Hill being there. But I've taken Taysom or Michael Thomas in pretty much every mock draft we've done so far because I can usually get him late second, early third. And I have him a lot higher ranked than that. I think the, I don't think he can have a 150 catch, 1700 yard season like he did in 2019. I think mm-hmm. that's an unrealistic ceiling for anyone. But I think his, realistic ceiling is as high with Jameis Winston as it ever has been go heading into a season. What about the the concern that Jameis is the starter, but he could lose as many as seven snaps a game to Taysom Hill? I expect that. I expect that to happen. I think that'll be a th- thing in the red zone, uh, especially. But Right. Well, I mean, I that, that absolutely seeing... kills the upside for anybody in that offense. Uh, no, because I don't think it's necessarily... Taysom Hill is taking seven pass attempts away from Jameis Winston. I think what it probably but does it's seven is, snaps away from Jameis Winston. Right, right, right. But what I'm thinking is, okay, that, so Taysom plays seven to ten snaps out of 60 to 70 per game. That's probably four or five designed runs anyway. Maybe a handful of pass attempts. So it doesn't help, sure, but I think like it's not like Taysom's not going to throw it. You know, we know Michael Thomas when Taysom Hill's in. He was his number one target. Mm-hmm. Um, and remember, everything that Michael Thomas did last season was playing through a high ankle sprain. 
he played through that high ankle sprain. He re- rushed back from it. It became an issue again later on in the season. He had to go back on IR. So I'm kind of giving him a mulligan for last year. And what he did with sure, Taysom yeah. Hill, that gives me a, a pretty safe floor for Michael Thomas, I think. Yeah, and what he did with Teddy Bridgewater, he's been quarterback proof. But yeah. uh, this is an absolute garbage receiving core. There's yeah, no right. reason why... Oh, it's garbage. I mean, come on. It, look, it's, it is at the very have you least. Seen the Jets receiving core? I didn't say it was the only garbage receiving core. I just said it was garbage. I don't think it's fair to call any receiving core that is Michael Thomas in a garbage. Okay, well, right, right. Beyond I Michael meant, Thomas, it is, I would say it's the there's least question marks. Proven. Sure. It sure. is the least proven receiving core that Michael Thomas has ever played with. Well he, played. Sh- he should definitely be among the league leaders in target share. Yeah. I would think he should be number one, quite frankly. He's the he's the most he stands out in that receiving core, and obviously Kamara is going to be a big factor. Kamara is probably going to be second on the team in targets, but yeah, Thomas is going to be a target hog for sure. I wonder. I just wonder so much about the fit with Jameis Winston. Uh, he's never had a hundred catch receiver. He had a ninety-six catch wide receiver that was Mike Evans in two thousand sixteen, I believe, and Chris mm-hmm. Godwin in two thousand nineteen actually finished number two in PPR. Uh, behind Michael Thomas, and he was on—he only did that in 14 games. He was on pace for 98 catches. So a different type of style, and that's obviously really important in PPR. Is the last three years, the number one wide receivers had 115 or more catches in PPR. Um, but on the other hand, Jameis Winston has twice in his career given you a top three wide receiver, Godwin and Evans, and also Evans mm-hmm. had another top 10 finish in there, if not two more. So... Um, yeah, you know, he's he's had good wide receivers before. I just in full PPR, I just I wonder if it's it's harder for Michael Thomas. I don't know because I just don't know what to expect from his catches. It's like you love his catch potential in a typical Saints offense, but you mentioned all the things about Jameis Winston. He's may he may not be a great PPR quarterback if that makes sense. So he's it, more of a chunk it, quarterback. It's tough to the the Buccaneers did not funnel targets to their number one wide receivers in the way say the Saints have with Michael Thomas or the Packers have with Devontae Adams or the, the Cardinals did with DeAndre Hopkins last season. I don't think I don't think Mike Evans has ever had a target share over 25%. And the last year that he was there, Winston in Tampa Bay, it was right around 21-22% for both Evans and Chris Godwin. Which is surprising because you don't really remember them having like a number three receiver that was fantasy relevant for the most part. Um, right. But how much of that is coaching and how much of that is Jameis Winston and how much of that is, you know, Mike Evans isn't Michael Thomas. They're different kinds of receivers and Michael Thomas or Mike Evans isn't going to be the kind of receiver who necessarily demands a 28% target share because so many of his targets take a long time or so many of his routes take a long time to develop. So many of them are lower efficiency throws, whereas Thomas, I think he'll have more of that with Jameis because Jameis is more willing to take those chances. But they're going to have a lot more plays where he's designed as the number one wide receiver. He gets open in a short area and Jameis finds him. I don't think it's necessarily that Jameis isn't willing to to throw those passes. I think it's it's more that he hasn't played with a number one wide receiver like Michael Thomas. All right, let's go to your next bold prediction. Before we do that, I want to let you know what's coming up this week on CBS Sports HQ. CBS Sports HQ is the network to start your sports news day, 8 a.m. Eastern with Morning Buzz. That's an hour of highlights, news, all the days need to know. Come back or leave us on all day 
at 6 p.m., where we break down all of the night's action and release dozens of picks from the best analysts and cappers in the sports world. And this week, it's going to be a fun week. The Kegelazzo crew will be in Denver reporting all week on the CONCACAF Nations League and all things U.S. men's national team. And remember to check out Paramount Plus for the games. And our pal Pete Prisco will be on HQ breaking down his annual top 100 players in the NFL list. Uh, and, of course, we'll have uh, the Paul Mayweather coverage. We're going to have college football recruiting updates, Belmont Stakes picks, all things hockey and NBA playoffs. If you want to know how to watch HQ, it is easy. Go to your Roku, your Apple TV, your Fire TV, really most connected TVs, and look for the CBS Sports app. Fire it up. Check out HQ, the only 24-7 free sports streaming network. Yeah, this next one's pretty bold. Nick Chubb. What are you saying about Nick Chubb? What's your bold prediction? Bold prediction, Nick Chubb finishes outside of the top 20 at RB in PPR. Um, Ooh. That's bold. He's the number eight RB in NFC drafts right now. He's the number 11 player overall. I have him as RB 15 and more like a fringe second round pick. So I'm already lower than him on him than the consensus. And I, I do want to point out, it feels low. But I have him projected for the third most rushing yards in the league and the second most rushing touchdowns. And he's my RB15. That's ridiculous. Because he's not catching it. How is that possible? Because he doesn't catch passes. He has 25 ca- catches in 19 games since Kareem Hunt joined the. I, yeah, the I get that. But I just feel like your projections must be way too high on too many other people because well, if he's going to lead the basically lead the NFL in rushing and rushing touchdowns or come top three in both of them, he's not going to be RB15. Well, no, but that's I'm projecting everyone to play 16 games. If he plays 16 17 games and has those games. numbers, he's going to finish higher than that. But seven, we have to we, yeah, we have to have a 17 game jar. You have to put money in every time you say 16. Sure, 17, 17 games. Yes, money uh, in the jar. I, I will. I will get used to saying 17 games in week 18 of the 2021 <laughs> season. Um, that's when he'll remember that there's 17 games in the season. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, oh, I'll like, be like, oh, week. the season's over. Are, yes, I can Chris, finally. Why relax. are you on vacation no, no. right now? Yeah. This is week 18. Um, if I low, so here's the thing. One since Hunt, Kareem Hunt got to Cleveland, Nick Chubb is averaging 15.6 PPR per game, PPR points per game. That would have been 16th in 2020 and 14th in 2019. So already he's kind of benefiting a little bit in 2019 from the fact that he played every game. Why did I wait? Wait, hold on. Why do I have him as he was number nine per game last year? No, I'm 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 adding his 2019 games with Hunt. And his 2020 games with Hunt. So what, he wasn't that good in 2019 with Hunt? He's averaged 15.6 per game in those 19 games they've played together. I think it's not. No, it's 20. Gosh, I don't know what the exact number is. Okay. I looked this up earlier. Okay. Um, and so he would have been 16th in 2020 at 15.6 points per game, 14th in 2019. And that's including the fact that maybe you guys disagree, but I feel like 2020 was kind of and everything went right season for the Browns. I mean, obviously, Odell Beckham got hurt, but in terms of Nick Chubb's production, you really can't ask for a better scenario than what he was facing in 2020. They really didn't have many offensive line injuries. They were able to run the ball a ton because their defense played well. They didn't have the passing game to play aggressively, and I don't think they want to. And he scored 12 touchdowns in 12 games. And he rushed for, what, 100 yards per game? A little bit more than that. 5.6 yards per carry, I think. Yeah, like he's capable of doing all that again, but it it was out of line with his career norms. 
And so you have a situation where a guy's coming off his kind of what I view as a best case scenario or pretty close to his season. Usually things don't go that right for most players. You certainly can't expect things to go as right as they did for him. Sometimes lightning strikes twice like it did for Derrick Henry in 2019 and 2020. And maybe that'll happen. And maybe Nick Chubb is so special and his situation is so good with that offensive line and that coaching staff that it just won't matter. But it's really hard to be an elite fantasy running back if you don't catch passes. You have to be so much better than pretty much everyone else when it comes to rushing the ball. If I drop him to fifth in projected rushing yards and projected touchdowns, he would drop to 20th in PPR points. But wait, but but when you say elite, you know, I have mm-hmm. always said over and over, if you don't get to 50 catches, it's very hard to be a top five running back. Mm-hmm. But it's not. And he's hard, never but, done. And but he's never not, been a top five. Running and back. I wouldn't draft him to be a top ten, top five running back. But it's not hard to be a top ten running back. It happens all the time. Uh, well, no, it's hard. No, it happens that, every it year. Does, it does happen regularly. But there are a lot of running backs who don't catch fifty passes who don't get to the top ten. You know, you have yeah. like, like I, I think top ten is like an eightieth percentile outcome, and there is an there is a world in which maybe Kareem Hunt takes a couple of extra touchdowns from him and he finishes with eight instead of 10 and he misses two games or he misses one game and leaves another one early and all of a sudden he finishes his RB20. I'm not saying he won't be good, but for fantasy, there are running backs that I like more than Nick Chubb, mostly because of his uh, because of the way he's used. If that changes, if they do decide to give him even two and a half catches per game and he gets to 40, I think he's got top three upside, maybe higher. But I've been given no reason to believe that that's a, that's a move that they're going to make. All right, Dave, well, what do you think? The first thing that stands out to me, and I knew that this was coming, was I went back and, and I remembered seeing Nick Chubb get involved in the passing game a little bit more toward the end of last season. It was in the playoffs as well. Last four games, 15 targets. 11 mm-hmm. catches, 111 yards, and a touchdown. Set a byproduct of them just trying to throw a new wrinkle in at the end of the year for defenses to prepare for. Could it be something that they try and build off of? I'm not saying that he's going to get, you know, three catches per game, which is basically what he was averaging here. But I, I think Nick Chubb could catch the football if they wanted to get involved in that way. They had already been giving him 15.8 carries per game in the regular season. That includes the game he left early against Dallas. Throw that game out, and it's looking more like 16 or 17 carries per game. You always want a running back that's going to get that type of work, PPR, non-PPR. There are only Mm -hmm. five running backs, five, that last year finished in the top 10 in pro football focuses elusive metric and yards after contact per attempt. Chubb was the only one to finish in the top two in both categories. So he gets you numbers after contact. He's elusive as heck. We all know this. He gets goal line opportunities. That offensive line, you brought it up, Chris. It was the top-ranked run-blocking offensive line in pro football focus. The schedule isn't that bad. I don't I don't see a way for me getting away. I don't see a way for me to get away from Nick Chubb as a top pretty much a top 10 running back in fantasy, regardless of format. Yeah, And Derrick Henry's proven it over the past couple of years. Not that Nick Chubb is exactly what Derrick Henry is, but you can put up huge numbers on the ground and not a lot catching the football and still be very good in PPR formats. It is very bold to say that he won't finish as a top 20 running back. The only way that I see that happening is if you you are predicting a Nick Chubb injury or that Kareem Hunt runs like 
God. And that well, forces Nick Chubb to the bench and Kareem Hunt ends up playing just at, like at an MVP type level. I, I would say he's a running back. So if you did want to project an injury or predict an injury for him, Probably not a bad. Uh, sure, I bad mean, but we, we're also, we can do that, and it right, has right, happened yeah. to Chubb. But that's but not part right. of this discussion here. You're projecting right, right, right. everybody well, of for two seasons. But and, I'll tell you what, like when when Chris said that he was projecting everybody for 16 games, I thought that's actually ingenious because it's going to be rare for anybody to play 17 games this year. <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I do have everyone doing. projected for 17. But yes, uh, one, I do think there will be more running back injuries than than normal, even on a per game basis, just because. We're going to be looking at teams playing 13 weeks in a row uh, to start the season. I think there are, are there four teams who have a bye in week 14. I believe so. Yeah, and then there's a couple of teams that have 14 in a row to uh, to end the season. So it's that's let's just get a 19 game season, 19 week season, and get two buys. This is ridiculous. Um, yeah, that'll happen. Uh, yeah, look, I understand what you're saying. The catches are going to be really low, in, yeah. in all likelihood. Um, one thing I do want to point out, though, is that in the first three games of the season, uh, Nick Chubb, before he got injured in week four, Nick Chubb had 51 carries and Kareem Hunt had 39. And that's a really, mm-hmm. really bad split. But in the last six games, Chubb had 88 carries and Hunt had 41. Uh, he's so uh, Kareem Hunt is a better pl- is a good player, and I think Nick, Nick Chubb is so clearly better. I mean, he is arguably the best running back in football. I agree with all that. Uh, yeah, so so I think that there's this opportunity for him to actually really leave Kareem Hunt in the dust a little bit. Um, people might not be aware of how tilted it was toward the end of the season after he came back from the injury, but he was just so much better and got so much more work than Kareem Hunt did. Um, and the defense, you mentioned the defense, it's going to be... It, I can't see how it's worse this year. It should be so much better this year. They have the opportunity Agreed. to have the best defense in football. A lot of people are very high on their defense. They had a great offseason. They get some secondary members who were hurt all of last year back. Uh, mm-hmm. Jadeveon Clowney, all that stuff. So um, mm. that should should factor in well for him as well. I get what you're saying. Yeah, so there's really, I think DeAndre Swift versus Nick Chubb is a, a Nick I'm, Chubb I, slam dunk and non-PPR. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. okay. But I, and and that's before actually two spots higher. I have Chris Carson between them, and that's before I didn't really change anything with Swift yet. You're going with, Carson uh, over Swift or Chubb? Carson over Swift. Yeah. So Chubb, Carson, Swift. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Can you name a couple other running backs that you have ranked just ahead of Chubb in PPR? Yeah, and and just to be clear, the the gaps between these players. I mean, Swift is at 250 projected points, and Clyde edwards alaire is at 268 at 11. Okay. So that's a point per game difference between number 11 and number 16 mm-hmm. or 17. Uh, I have Antonio Gibson, Cam Akers, Jonathan Taylor, Clyde Edwards, Elair just ahead of Nick Chubb. And it basically just comes down to those guys are all projected for at least 20 more receptions, except for Taylor, who I think is maybe not quite as good as Nick Chubb as a running back, but he might be. And the situation might be just as good, if not better. So, yeah, I think we'd all take Taylor over Chubb, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but for me, it's just, it's really hard to get around the fact that I have Chubb projected for 26 receptions, which would be 11 more, 9 more than he had last year. Um, yeah, he missed a bunch of games, though. He missed 4 games, but yeah, that's 17 really, games versus five, 12. Though. So yeah, that, yeah. That's, that's around the same pace, maybe a little higher. 
I have him for 1,440 yards, 11 touchdowns, uh, and a receiving touchdown. I have him for 1,400, 1,440 yards, uh, over 1,600 yards total, total offense. Oh, total. Yeah, so he's averaged, Nick Chubb has averaged more than 100 total yards per game, I believe, two straight seasons. Uh, yeah, 110 111 in 2019, 107 in, two, in 2020. And that's, that's right. pretty, much, but that's there pretty was much what Alvin a, Kamara averages. But there was a difference between what Chubb did in the first nine games of 2019 and what he did after that. Yeah, but then what about 2020? I mean, 107 total yards per right. game. I think, he, I, I think he's really good. He was at 98 yards in per game after Kareem Hunt was added. Like I said, if yeah. you add Kareem Hunt, the time he spent with Kareem Hunt, it's 15.6 fantasy points per game, which is really good. But it's closer to around the high to mid-range number two range for running backs in a given season. All right, good stuff. Good stuff on Nick Chubb, Michael Thomas, and Kyle Pitts. We're going we're gonna to come back with your emails after this quick break on Fantasy Football Today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to the end of Bold Prediction Week. It's been good stuff from Jamie, from Heath, from Dave, and now from Chris, and a lot from you. We've read a lot of emails and Apple Podcast questions on our show this week. Let's go to an email from Anthony in Tacoma. Hey, Doug, Skeeter, and Quailman. Does anyone know this one? Yeah, it's that show. With okay. the name. It's Skeeter. It's the name of the show, right? Oh, okay. You're doing a bit. I'm doing a bit. It's obviously Doug. Uh, forget single quarterback. But are we sleeping on Derek Carr as a sneaky super flex slash 2QB option? The Raiders played a lot of top defenses last season, and Carr essentially missed an entire game in Week 15 and still finished in the high-end QB2 zone for all formats. With Ruggs and Edwards getting another year to develop and the defense as rough as, as I can see, as rough as it is, I can see a ton of upside for Derek Carr holding up the bottom of the quarterback draft pool. Am I crazy? Do you know where I've got the Raiders' pass schedule ranked? Projected strength of schedule for 2021? Uh, 25th. Dead worst. They have the hardest schedule? They have, according to the, the work that I've done and the grading of every defense, I think they've got the hardest schedule to throw against. A <laughs> um, lot of pass coverages. They start the season against the Ravens and the Steelers. Right. So know that going in with you Derek don't feel Carr. Great about that. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'd feel good about that either. Uh, I, I believe that the Broncos' defense is going to be outstanding this year. Chiefs' defense should be a little more challenging than it was last year. Chargers, I, I don't know how bullish I am on the Chargers' defense, but there there are a lot of tough opponents. The Browns are on their schedule. Uh, this is not going to be an easy year for Derek Carr. Don't forget about the offensive line changing. It's a little bit better in pass protection than it is in run blocking, but I'm not, I'm not putting Derek Carr on my list of number two quarterbacks to target. 
Ryan Fitzpatrick yeah. will go ahead of him. Uh, Sam Darnold's got a great schedule to begin the year. I'll put him ahead of Derek Carr. Uh, the, pretty much every rookie outside of Mac Jones and Zach Wilson, assuming they're starting, I'll put a, in front of Derek Carr. And what the hell, man? Maybe even if Zach Wilson's okay in the preseason, I'll put him ahead of Carr too. Yeah, it gets interesting when you talk about like Tua versus Derek Carr or Carson Wentz versus Derek Carr because I think you know maybe the most likely outcome is Derek Carr's a little better than those guys. Uh, I feel a little more confident in what he'll do. I feel more confident that he can get me 27 touchdowns and 4,200 yards in a season. But I think to uh, Carson Wentz, you know, like you mentioned, Ryan Fitzpatrick, a couple other guys who are going ahead of him, uh, I do think they have just much higher upsides. They do, but it's, I wouldn't, I don't think I could ever get to Zach Wilson over Derek Carr. But uh, yeah. no, no, I mean, it would take a, a, a really eye opening training camp and preseason for that to happen. But I think the point is, in a two quarterback league, you can't just think about upside. It's easy to do that in sure. a one quarterback league. So I could see a nice case for Derek Carr to be the 20th quarterback or so drafted in a two quarterback league. You know what you're going to get. You're going to get solid production. Mm, he's, he's not yeah. going to kill you. Can I, can I give you the schedule after Baltimore and Pittsburgh to start the season? Uh, you know what? Or do you I, not care? I mean, I, you can, cause some people do care. I don't really care because I I just don't think that there's a there's a way that he's going to be so much worse than what he usually is, which is just a, like a middling, fine number two quarterback. I, you know, it's going to be independent of his schedule. He's, like he's he's not a guy that I stream in a great matchup because he's going to light them up. It's just not what he does. But well, at the end of the year, he, he gets from his time numbers. to time we recommend him specifically for that because he's got a matchup that's great and he's worth taking we, the chance on. Uh, may, I mean, maybe, but how many big games does Derek Carr have? It, it rarely happens unless he's Six, facing the unless he's facing maybe. the Jets and they don't guard. Yeah, I think he had like, on the I, last. Play. You could <laughs> probably say he, they had he had three. I mean, he had four games with three touchdowns oh. last season. He topped 302 of them, 300 yards in two of them. So let's see. He had 25 plus fantasy points. Oh, he had several games with 25 plus. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six, like I said, with 25 plus. Yeah. A lot of them came toward the end of the year. He had three rushing touchdowns in a four game stretch. <laughs> and last by the way, year. That two, two of them were against the Chiefs. One of them was against the Colts. These were teams mm-hmm. who had pretty solid defenses here. So I, I don't think they were as- solid, but they, they weren't. Dominant, and, one was and the offensive the line was a little bit better. One was against the Saints, so I don't really view Carr as a as like a matchup guy. He just if he's lucky enough to get a third touchdown, he's going to have a big game. Otherwise, I expect like 250 yards and two touchdowns or something like that. It's yeah, just, he's, he's Ravens. So, I mean, that Colts game was pretty so lucky. He wasn't that good. In that yeah, game. Ravens, Steelers, Dolphins, Chargers, Bears, Broncos, Eagles. Maybe that's his first really easy matchup. That's in Week Seven. All right, I'm ready to move on to He's our next email. He's got to All right, email from Jacob from Champ Champ Town. Don't know. Hey there, Mike, Chris, Antonio, and Rob. Those are Bucks pass catchers. He's probably oh. from Tampa. Yeah, probably. How did I know? Oh, I guess because they they won two championships last year. Oh, the Lightning. Lightning yeah, strikes twice. Okay, need help with the keeper decision. 10-team, two-quarterback league with two flexes and three wide receivers, and it's non-PPR. What a strange league. I can keep one player in rounds 1 through 5, one in 6 through 10, and one in 11 through 15. I am keeping Kyler in the fifth. I need help with my other two choices. Remember, it's a 2QB league. So in the 6 to 10 range, I can keep Lamar in the sixth, Dobbins in the eighth, or Lamb in the ninth. 
It's Jackson. Lamar Jackson, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he can only keep Jackson for one more year, the other two for two more years, but I still think it's yeah. Jackson in 2QB league. Mm-hmm. Okay. He's got Kyler, Kyler and Lamar Jackson. Yeah, that's, that's fun. Awesome. Uh, my choices for 11 to 15 are Tua in the 12th. You're not going to do that. Judy in the four. Well, I guess you could. Judy in the 14th or Tua in the 12th. So I, I guess keep- you could look at it. Tua and Lamb or Dobbins versus Jackson and Judy, but I still think you go with Jackson and Judy. Same. Okay. Broward kids. This is from Rob. What are Broward kids? Oh, Jackson and Judy. Jackson and Judy. From Rob. I'm almost certain Lamar Jackson. Yeah, he went to. Well, he uh, might have been in Miramar, right? High school. Yeah. Yeah. I think. From uh, Rob, call me out on it. Uh, will you just be quiet? For where is Rob from, Dave? You want to talk about geography? Just where the hell is Rob from already? He is from Coral Springs, Florida. <laughs> Adam, uh, Lamar Jackson did go to Cor- uh, Boynton Beach High School. Okay, so that is not I, in I Broward right County. Next door to it. He didn't go to Miramar. He might have been from that area, but he like got into a school up there. Okay, to play football. All right, dear JD Turk Perry and Bob and Mathletes. I mean, this is not one of the. If this is not one of the all-time underrated TV shows, Chris, I don't know what. I, I started rewatching it recently. It's it's so good. Yes. I love Scrubs. Scrubs. Honest top twelve overall rankings for a one QB PPR dynasty league. Just what are your thoughts on proven talent versus youth, and how you would draft the mm. first twelve in a dynasty startup? I meant to get the dynasty startup draft open, so let that is my fault. Here's I got a. It. Okay, I have an And I've got a best ball dynasty startup draft that I can call up. I've got it open right now. So in one QB, it started with McCaffrey and Jonathan Taylor. And this is with a bunch of guys from the industry, so a bunch of fantasy nerds. Justin Jefferson went third. I think that's a little too soon for Jefferson, but I get him as a first-round pick because stud receiver, you can have him in your lineup for the next decade. Dalvin Cook went after that. I took Alvin Kamara at five. DK Metcalf went sixth. Looks like Calvin Ridley went seventh, DeAndre Swift eighth to Heath, uh, AJ Brown nine, Cam Akers ten, Derrick Henry eleven, Saquon Barkley. You've been probably waiting to hear that name. He went at twelve. I think I would expect Barkley to go a little sooner than that in your typical yeah. startup dynasty. In the twelve-team PPR startup dynasty draft that we did um, last week, I guess was it really last week? Feels like it was longer ago than that. It does feel. Uh, like that. We got. McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, Jonathan Taylor, Saquon Barkley, DeAndre Swift, Alvin Kamara, Derrick Henry, DK Metcalf, Tyree Kill, Justin Jefferson, Nick Chubb, and AJ Brown as your top 12. So, so pretty heavy mix of running backs yeah. with a few wide receivers in there. No quarterbacks. No one took Patrick Mahomes in round one. No one took any of the tight ends in round one. I think, I think the that's oldest, a fair expectation. The oldest yeah, no. player is probably Derrick Henry, right? Um, yeah, maybe. Hill and uh, who was the other guy? Is Camara? I think Hill is twenty-seven, or I think Hill's twenty-seven. Okay, it might be Hill. Right. Henry's twenty-seven, and Tyree Kill is twenty-seven. I don't know who's older. So those are the twenty-seven-year-olds. Yeah. So the thing to keep in mind with wide receivers, we're in a weird spot with dynasty wide receivers because the. The average peak age for a wide receiver is 27 or 28, typically 28. And then there's a a pretty mild decline on average, 29, 30. Most hit a wall at 31. Most hit a wall at 30 or 31. So 
when you're talking about Devontae Adams, Tyreek Hill, Stefan Diggs, Michael Thomas, the top guys this year uh, are largely in that range or close, 27 or 28. Um, and then the the next group, you know, your AJ Browns, Justin Jefferson's, DK Metcalf haven't quite shown that they can be as good as the DeAndre Hopkins, uh, Stefan Diggs, those guys have shown. So it's kind of a weird spot for the position because the number one spot in dynasty for wide receiver is I think kind of wide open right now. Um, In this draft, it was DK Metcalf, which I don't know. We don't know how long Russell Wilson's going to be as QB. I would take Um, Jefferson over Metcalf. I think I would too. Although we don't um, know how long Kirk Cousins is going to be his QB. I might take Brown on. over them. Oh yeah, I think you could definitely take AJ Brown uh, over. Okay, let's go to our next email from Stefan. I'm listening to an FFT podcast. I heard the conversation of one of the emailer questions about how two flex spots changes things. I believe the emailer had two running backs, two wide receivers, one tight end, and two flex spots. One of my dynasty leagues has this same format. And it actually pushes up the value of running backs because teams can start up to four running backs and the wide receiver position is so deep. It means teams with an abundance of running backs have very little incentive to trade for a wide receiver. This results in teams stock. This results in teams stockpiling running backs and um, have very little need to move these players, thus creating a running back shortage in the league. That's interesting. You don't really have that bench depth to move. That's that's an interesting angle of that. It was interesting to hear Jamie think that two flex spots pushes up the value of wide receivers in PPR. Our league is half PPR, and it's the opposite. Mm, Interesting. I would think for most teams, the ideal lineup will probably be two running backs, four wide receivers. Uh, Well, it's easier to set your lineup that way. Yeah, but what what the emailer is saying is that if you just happen to luck into or draft a bunch of running backs and you can start them all reliably, it'll give your squad an edge. I I think the problem is to draft five running backs, right? To to draft five running backs or even four running backs who you feel would be worth starting in a two flex league, you would probably have to take four running backs with your first four picks because yep. once you get to really the fourth, maybe the fifth round at running back, you're looking at guys who are likely to score similar amounts of points to the number 30, number 35 yeah, wide right. receiver. But you can get that that wide receiver later. So that's the thing. It's like there's right. a you run can find on, a better wide receiver a, at that point. There's a, but you can get right. you might That's, be able yeah. to find a better wide receiver two rounds later. So there's this run on running backs early, and then because you go well, I don't need to take a wide receiver now. Wide receivers deep. And then the other problem that this guy is bringing up is you, you sometimes you make a trade, you make a running back trade because you have bench depth at running back and other teams don't. But when there are there's an extra flex, you don't really have bench depth. You have another starter. So you're not trading running backs as frequently. So that's interesting. But I also think this is a half PPR league that, that Stefan was talking about. And our original email, I think, was about a PPR league. Sure. So that but, does But I would things. add, if you go into the season with four running backs that you feel confident in, you really have maybe two and a half running backs who you can actually start for most well, of the season. I, I think that's kind of a negative outlook on it. I mean... But, no, but it's no, really realistic. I mean, that, that's your just, standards, your sta- when, you, when you have an extra flex... Your standards are a little bit lower. Well, not necessarily because you don't have to start a running back in that flex. 
Right. Like the, the overall, it's not a bad idea in this type of a format to, to go running back heavy early on. I don't know necessarily your first four picks, you're going to take a running back. Maybe your first five or six, you take a running back and you prioritize the position. If you do that and you hit on all four, then, you know, you're, you're, awesome. you're yeah, you're, you're, you're going to be great. You can always find you can always find a receiver with 15 point PPR potential off the waiver wire, even in a league like the one that we're talking about here. There's I always going to be someone there that you can find. I would say RB heavy is a good team building strategy. It's not necessarily how I would want to set my lineup every week. The well, flip yeah, side you don't to it to. though is that if you go hog wild on other positions and then starting in round four, you just collect running backs, say with your next six picks or six of your next seven picks. And you hit on those guys, be it because the starter in front of them gets injured or you draft a Michael Carter and he ends up playing like, uh, you know, a superstar, then your team's in just as good a shape as if you drafted four running backs early on and use that draft capital and two and a half of them are good. Yeah. And you could realistically take four wide receivers with your first six picks and end up with like Tyler Lockett as your number four or okay. Jamar Chase. Robert mm-hmm. Patterson. Robert Patterson emails us. He says, "Hey, I, mean, I can't wait for his version of the Batman to come out." <laughs> yes, esteemed author Robert Patterson. Hey, Nick, Ed, William, and Urban. Nick, Ed, William, Urban. Um, I, I would guess Nick Saban and Urban Meyer. I don't. Ed, I don't know college football. Is Ed, Ed, Ed Orgeron? Ed Orgeron. Ed Orgeron. Right, and William. William Penn, William the Wallace, founder of the state of Pennsylvania. Yeah, William Wallace. It's got to be it. Okay. Yeah, I think that's it. I want to give you all my take on a deeper rookie-only draft guy. Tommy Tremble is a tight end I'm excited about, and he's basically free in dynasty rookie drafts. I went to the same high school as Tommy Tremble, so I'm biased, but I'm pulling for the young man. <laughs> but the Panthers invested a lot in him. Joe Brady planted his flag on this guy. He's an excellent athlete. He's had some injuries that cooled the market. He's a big slot or a move tight end. Also an incredible blocker, and I think he can stay on the field. What do you think, Tommy Tremble? Went to Westland School. Westland the, School. The physical profile looks really good. I mean, 6'3", 240, ran a 4'6", yeah. 5 at his uh, pro day. Yeah. I tremble. You know, like how, do you, how do you... How do you reconcile 35 catches in two years? That's the problem is just not productive at all. Right. So he's got to gain that experience. It'll take him, uh, speaking of rookie tight ends, it's going to take him a little while to get to that point. Bold prediction. Maybe by, maybe by his third year, he's Bold. contributing in this offense. Bold prediction. Tommy Tremble is going to shatter every rookie tight end record. <laughs> That'd be bold. <laughs> that, would be a, that would be a big one. He, he, is, he just turned 21, like yesterday drink or i guess this is friday two days when ago. people are listening to this so he he turned 21 wednesday two days ago <laughs> so i mean you know age age adjusted production is important the age that you receive re, you make it to the nfl is important but you know i don't think you can really adjust his production for age because he didn't really have any so yeah. it's a it's a projection on physical tools as much as anything okay we are out of here for the weekend. We are not working for the weekend. Uh, unless Julio Jones gets traded, then we'll be working for the weekend. So for uh, thanks to everybody for giving your bold predictions this week. It's been a lot of fun. Thanks to everybody for listening out there. Have yourself a great weekend. We will talk to you on Monday on Fantasy Football Today and, of course, on FFT and 5 as well. See you later.
You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. 